0: The immediate context of this doxology is that prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians in verses 14 to 19. Chapter 3, you can turn there if you're not there already. And so he begins, for this reason I bow my knees, and he's praying. And so this reason, that's all that he's written in chapters 1 to 3 up to this point. So it's this understanding that he has of God's incredible power and his love and it's that that power and love that's displayed in the gospel now that moves him to pray this turbocharged prayer for, for these believers in Ephesus. And so I would just say, quick application to that is our, our thoughts, or excuse me, our prayers are pretty good indicators of, of our view of God, of our theology, of our understanding of what we really believe about God. Or we can say it this way, that small thoughts of God and His grace, they will they will tend to sap any kind of fervency that we want to have when we pray. But, but notice how he prays. So it's this over-the-top, crazy, audacious prayer. Look at verse 14. He prays, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, and to the extent that God is glorious... And to, to, to whatever extent He's rich in glory, He says that He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts or make His home in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have this strength to comprehend what's incomprehensible essentially, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's incredible, isn't it? That, that prayer. I mean, prayers don't get much bigger than that. You lay many of our prayers alongside that prayer, and we're like, you know, a little kid at the shopping mall asking his mommy for a penny to throw in the fountain or something like that. I mean this is this is enormous and I mean this is a great prayer though for us to, to adopt and to to kind of personalize as we pray for one another, as you just take the missionaries that we pray through month of those that we support and, and to to layer their situation, to layer their request through this grid of Ephesians three, fourteen to nineteen and pray for them. Or to pray through our church family as we have the monthly prayer calendar and we pray through the flock. Just maybe this year, let this be the text that informs how you pray, at least as you go through the flock one time. And, and pray for one another. Pray that we would just be overwhelmed with this sense of the greatness of Christ's love for us. That would be, that would be incredible if the Lord would answer that prayer for us as a church this year. But he's not done praying at verse 19. So he concludes his prayer with this soaring doxology. And so don't read verses 20 to 21, which is where our focus will be in sort of some mellow, calm, uh, like as if it's just sort of a transition that he's making in the letter. Okay, so he's got to get from the gospel to the implications. So he throws in this doxology. That's not what's happening here. Like, he, he is energetic, he's exuberant, he is exploding here, as he says, we get to verse 20. And we see this other places in, in, in the New Testament, and particularly in Paul's epistles. Remember in Romans when, and several times in the book of Romans, but when he's, he's unpacking this glorious doctrine of God's electing grace, he just breaks forth at the end and he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. First Timothy, Timothy, he, he's sharing his testimony of the Lord's grace towards, towards him and how the Lord met him. And he just breaks forth again in doxology to the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what's happening here. He's prayed this audacious prayer and then he breaks out in verse 20. Now to Him, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Frank Lloyd Wright is well known as as one of the greatest architects of the 20th century, particularly in, in the West, in America. So, so if you could imagine with me, though, um, that you, you were wanting to design a dog house for the new puppy you got for Christmas. Anybody get any new pets for Christmas this year? Okay, all right, we have one back there anyway. Was it a dog? Okay, all right, all right. So was it a puppy, though? Okay, all right, well, that's good. You are kind of get past that worst part of the, the puppy stage. But imagine that uh, the, uh, James and Cheryl, they want a, a doghouse for their, their new little dog. And if Frank Lloyd Wright was still alive, which he's not, do you think he would be able to design a doghouse for Fido or whatever they name their dog? Um, you think he could do that? We have a no over here, a dissenting voice. Uh, <laughs> no, yes, of course, he would, be, he would be more than able to design a doghouse, right? As a Dallas Cowboys fan, I regard Tom Landry as one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. I realize we have some Packers fans who would take exception to that, and, and I realize Vince Lombardi is con, con generally regarded as the greatest. But imagine if Tom Landry were in his prime and he were alive, and you were looking for a coach to to uh, lead your flag football team in the Turkey Bowl uh, to new heights of, of victory, something like that. Do you think Tom Landry would be able to help your flag football team get to the next level? Of course he could. Of course he could. He would be more than able to do that. Those are silly little illustrations. I think you probably see where we're going. Listen, the Lord, the Lord is the one true living God. He created everything. He holds everything together by the word of his power. He is the covenant keeping God of the Bible. He, He has made promises and He has kept every promise and He will fulfill every promise that He's made. There are no limits to His power, to His sovereign rule. Nobody is outside of His authority. So in light of those facts, do you think God is able to answer these, this audacious prayer that Paul prays here in Ephesians 3? You think He's able to answer our prayers, brothers and sisters? Yes. He's not just able, he's more than able. That's what that's what Paul's saying and it's this truth that this truth that moves Paul to shout here this doxology to shout glory is is this fact that God is able, he is all powerful. I and mean, this is a truth that's 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 confessed elsewhere in scripture throughout scripture. Jeremiah 32:17 Nothing is too difficult for you. Coming out of Christmas, Gabriel's words, you remember, to comfort Mary in Luke chapter 1. Nothing is impossible with God. And so God's God's not limited by what He, quote, can do. He's only limited by what He chooses to do. And so that's what I want us to consider as we walk through this doxology this morning. And I think, again, a great place for us to be. So the big idea would be this, and it's on the screen. While God's power is far beyond us, and we're going to see that, It is at work within us so that God's glory becomes our joyful goal. That's that's what we're going to see. So let's break that down as we walk through this doxology this morning for a few minutes and then we're going to come and we're going to worship at the table which is a wonderful way to start our new year together as a church family. So the first thing, God's power is far beyond us. Let me just back up just a touch and just say God, God is active. He is a doing God. He is... He is active, he is not passive. He is alive, he is not dead, he's not comatose. He is real, he's not imaginary. He's involved in our lives and our world and the church. He's not aloof. He's not idle. He's he's doing. And so he didn't just kind of wind the world up, let it go. Now he's just sitting back and watching see how things unfold with you know some kind of interest and see see how it all plays out. No, he is personally, actively, intimately involved in accomplishing His will in this world, even to the smallest little details. He's involved. And as far as the church goes, Jesus is is actively building His church. I will build My church, Jesus said. That's what He's doing every day, even while you're sleeping at night. Jesus is building His church. He's working. He's doing. he's, He's accomplishing. He's a doing God. And so this God who does... Paul says the first thing we know is he is able. He says, that's who you are, God, able. You are the able God. But it's not just that. God is able to do more. A little word, more. But not just more, abundantly more. And not just abundantly more, notice what he says, exceedingly or far abundantly more. So he actually makes up a word here. He, he does this elsewhere in his letters too. Whenever Paul starts making up words, we need to pay attention. He's got something very important that he wants to say and he's willing to risk looking silly or to use bad grammar to make this point and to make it emphatic. And so here he just crams these three words together and makes up a new word. I do this by accident all the time, but he is doing it very deliberately here. And he's saying God is able to do super abundantly more. or one could be translated infinitely more. One of the lexicons I looked at said this is the highest form of comparison imaginable. So he's making this... He can't, he can't make this in any more dramatic uh, statement than he is with the words that he's choosing to use here to create here. It's, he's making this sharp comparison. So God is able to do far more abundantly. But that's not all. He's able to do far more abundantly then we ask. Then we ask. Brian Chapel he says, of this, of this reality, he says, we want dessert when we need meat. We want success when we need humility. We want safety when we need godly courage or Christ-like sacrifice. We ask within the limits of human vision, but He is able to do more. He sees into eternity what is needful for our soul and for the souls of those whom our lives will touch across geography and across generations. And seeing this, he is able to do more than we ask. See what he's this is incredible. I mean, just think of I, I just been thinking about this in my own life. I mean, I I mind you very imperfectly and very shallowly, but I I know how to ask what I think is good for my immediate family, for Brooke and for our children. And I ask the Lord, I pray to him all the time, asking for his blessing in some particular ways. But God, listen, God knows not just what's good for my children, but for my children's children and for my children's children's children <laughs> and on and on. He knows what's good for every life that intersects with my children and their children. He he knows it all, and He's working now for their good. He's able to do more than we ask. Far more abundantly than we ask. I know, again, just scratching the surface some things that I think are needful in our church. Just like you do. You're aware, and you pray for our church family. There's those ways in which we know we... The Lord shows us we need to grow and the opportunities we can seize as a church and ways we need to adjust. And so we pray for the church, but God knows every soul that will be impacted and and touched directly or indirectly through those in our flock. He He knows the needs of our congregation far, far, far better than I do or you do or the elders do that we would even know to ask Him for. He's able to do far more abundantly than we even know to ask. we praying for the Philippines, not the Philippines, the Philippines. And, and and we saw the Crane's newsletter and, and this super typhoon that came in and, and, and took the lives of hundreds of people and destroyed churches and these new churches. And we we were praying, oh, Lord, what, do you, what is going on? And the gospel's taking root there and spreading and so we know how to pray for these churches to rebuild, and we can pray for the advance of the gospel, but the Lord is able to do far more abundantly than we even know to ask. We have no idea how he's using all of this. I, I, we, I, I know how to ask God for open doors in my neighborhood for the gospel, and in this community, and and people that I'm concerned for, their souls, and and, and praying for them, and and asking the Lord for those conversations that we can have those. And so I'm, I'm praying for households to come to faith in Christ. And again, very anemic prayers, mind you. But God knows, God knows what will bring multitudes into His kingdom. From places that I can't even pronounce and can't find them on a map. He's working. He knows. He knows. So we think, man, it would be amazing if God would, would just... if He did everything we asked of Him. So much would be accomplished. So much would happen in the spread of the gospel, in the great commission, and seeing it come to pass. The lost would always be saved. The sick would always be healed. What, listen, what we pray for is important, and I'll talk about that. But it's a tiny, tiny fraction of all that God is doing in our lives and in the world. He is, He is doing, He is able to do super abundantly Infinitely more than all that we ask. That's what Paul says. I mean, if God only did, if He if He, if he always waited on us for to ask for something before He did anything, we would be doomed. <laughs> the church would be a disaster. It would be dead if, if, if He was waiting on us. The world would implode. And so we don't have God's vantage point. We we cannot see all that He's doing all the time all around the world, but he is able. He is able to do more. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. And so I just say, rejoice, brothers and sisters. This is good, encouraging truth for us. Let this sink into your hearts that that God isn't just able to do what we ask, but he's far more abundantly to do all that we ask. So when you pray for missionaries, when you when your prayers are fueled by those reports that you see and you read those newsletters and you pull those requests out of those reports and jot them down to remind you to pray, just know that God is able to do, God will do even more than you ask. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about what we ask of Him. That doesn't mean He he, he he won't hear. Of course, he does, and he he freely gives us so often what we ask of him, and we see answered prayer, and we see the ways at which he blesses his people as he as they pray, and he invites us to call upon his name and ask of him, and he's pleased to answer those requests. But God is stronger; his heart is bigger than 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 what our asking can possibly encompass. He is he is able to do more he is doing more he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we asked but that's not all i feel like a telemarketer that's kind of how paul's just piling this up there's there's more but wait have you ever thought something as you're as you know as you're you're praying and you think about something and you would like to ask god for that but you wonder would god really even grant that i am sort of embarrassed to ask certainly publicly i wouldn't wouldn't say this but or maybe you you've considered this possibility in prayer but it's this sort of remote possibility you're not really pleading for God trusting that he could actually do this or would do this but this is what he says God is God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think even imagine some of your translations say his doing surpasses our requests and even our thoughts first Corinthians 2 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived all that God has prepared for those who love Him. He's he's greater. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even imagine. So His point here is that when we go to God in prayer, even with big prayers, even with prayers that we think may seem almost futile, His power is never in question. It's only a matter... Of what is his good and perfect will in this situation, because his power is unlimited. It's just so important to remember, friends. It is, it is. because there are many times we go to the Lord, with prayer, and it, and and if we're honest, we can be rather cynical about prayer. Does it really does it really make any difference? Is it really being heard? Is it really does the Lord really work? Does he hear? Does he answer? Can he do anything? We can be more shaped by the world and. This thought that this is sort of some closed system and God is outside of it. Maybe He exists, but He's outside of it, and we're just kind of in here, and it's just natural reactions and things that are happening, and it's all just uh, our will is affecting everything, and God's outside of it, and we can we can be shaped by that. So is, there, is it is it hopeless to pray? We can become cynics, but maybe even this morning you're you're grieving in your heart over some matter you've prayed to the Lord for. Weeks, months, years, maybe decades. Salvation of, of a loved one. You're praying for a brother or sister who's, who's gone the path of the prodigal. You're praying for, uh, you know, you have this deep wound in your soul because you've lost a loved one and you're, you, you can't wait to, that maybe they're believers, but you, there's this hurt, there's this longing, this waiting to see them again in glory. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend and that wound is painful. Maybe there's a failure on your part. Some sin that you just just can't seem to conquer. And it just seems futile to go to God in prayer again for that. God's God's power is not in question in terms of His ability to answer our prayers. So we we can say with deep conviction, with full confidence of faith, we, we praise you. And this is what Paul's doing. We praise you because you are able. You are super abundantly able to do more than we even ask or think and 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 let me just qualify that one i am also well aware there are times when you and i pray for things that we think will bring god much glory and will be for the good of the gospel's progress and for the good of our lives and others and 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 yet they don't come to pass what what then i mean again lost people they're not saved before they die or at least to our knowledge Broken marriages aren't restored. Wayward, straying Christians, they they go on in foolishness and rebellion and cause all kinds of damage. I, I don't I don't want to gloss over the difficulties and the struggles that we have in prayer that maybe you feel really deeply right now, even. There is mystery in the interaction between our praying and the sovereign will of God that I'm not going to be able to fully address and resolve right now i'm not saying the bible is silent in this uh, but but there are there are examples in scripture we can take encouragement from i think i mean when john the baptist was in prison i'm sure his disciples were desperately praying for his release they loved him they they wanted him released they didn't want him facing that danger it would have brought God much glory. If John would have been freed, could have gone on preaching, preaching along Christ, keep pointing to Jesus and saying, behold the Lamb of God, just keep doing that. Being His right hand man. I'm sure that would have brought brought the Lord glory. But what? John was beheaded. Although God could have easily freed John, He did this later with Peter, He could have easily freed John. It wasn't His will to do so. Through tears, we know Paul prayed for this widespread conversion of his kinsmen, of the Jewish people. And yet they largely rejected the Gospel during his lifetime. But he he was deeply burdened for them. Poured out his soul to the Lord, begging God to save his kinsmen people. When Jesus predicted Peter's denials, I think it would be right for Jesus to have just simply prayed that Peter wouldn't sin at all. He, but Jesus didn't pray that. He prayed that after Peter sin, after he was restored, that he would strengthen his brothers. And so God's sovereign will, in some mysterious way, it permitted Peter's sin in order to strengthen Peter and others in the long run. And God is doing a bazillion things. There's my made-up word. All of the time. We can't comprehend that. But we, 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 we ought not to lose heart as we pray. Remember, our perspective is very limited. And so we don't have the full picture, the big picture of all that God is doing. Now some of you, again, are in difficult situations and seasons of life right now. I know you are. And there's others of you, I don't even know the, but you know what you're walking through. I would just implore you, pray Keep praying. And don't lose heart. The God you're praying to is able. He is able to do more. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that you even know to ask or could even conceive of in your mind. He is able. He is working. And so continue to go to Him. Don't lose heart. So that's first. God's power is far beyond us. Secondly, Yet God's power is at work within us. This is incredible. So all that incredible, unrivaled, unhindered power of God it, that it is at work in us. It's at work in us sovereignly. Notice that little prepositional phrase: according to His power. Again, to the degree that God is powerful and sovereign, to, to the degree that He is God, He is He is able. He is able to work within us. He can do more than we ask or imagine because He's God, who's He's, he's working sovereignly, secondly, He's working personally. That's that according to the, to his power at work, within us. So God's unfathomable power is at work through us, It's work at it work in us. Does it always feel like that? No. Maybe we have those moments where we do feel the pleasure of God and we, we feel we, and we sense that power at work, but that's our feelings are not what we're hoping in. We trust that it's true, and so here Paul's chained to a prison guard in Rome right now as he's writing this letter to this little. I don't think of the church at Ephesus as just, you know the big church building and these large congregations. He's just a little fledgling cluster of house churches in Ephesus, barely getting along, barely getting through, and he's chained in prison in Rome. But does it feel like? That like this is true. His power is at work within us personally. Not always. But, but God works His infinite wisdom, His divine power in us. And we have to remember this. We have to remember this when our, when our failures just keep persisting. When, when, when relationships dissolve. When, when we're on the receiving end of all kinds of ridicule and anger. and, And when, when our own sin threatens to rob our joy. To, to, to and our commitment to our calling when when we're facing difficult circumstances, when we're walking out of a difficult year into another one. God is working sovereignly and personally within us. He's making us more like Christ. His provision isn't always what we ask for. It doesn't come in the form that we always want it to come. But He's working. He's providing. And the effectiveness, the the impact of His work and His power at work within us, it goes far beyond what we can possibly get our minds around. I mean, we want to see, we want to see, okay, what's the evidence? Show me the sign. Show me the evidence. And sometimes, again, we get to say, oh, I can see what the Lord is doing in my life or in your life, but He's doing far more than our minds can understand. He gives us he, he, he gives us what He does in order to prepare us, to strengthen us, to humble us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to guide us. And a thousand other things are working at the same time all the time. Not because we deserve it. It's by His grace, by virtue of our union with Christ that we, that we enjoy this. But and this is why we, we rest in this reality. Though. And this is, my, this is intended to be just an encouragement to you, church, as we start out the new year. Just see the, all that is going on. See all that the Lord is doing on your behalf and praise Him for it. So it's it's sovereignly. He works sovereignly. He works personally. And third, He works corporately. And so you notice that first person pronoun there, it's plural. It's us. It's powers that work within us. This isn't just God working in us as individuals. This is God working in us as a body, as a corporate body. His unbelievable power at work in us together. In the church, the church matters. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next few, few weeks. It's primarily in our life together that God's power is at work within us. That's where we see it and experience it. So God's power, it's way beyond us. It's far beyond us. And yet it's working within us in ways that sometimes we can see and, but in countless other ways that we cannot see. We don't know. He's, he knows he knows the challenges we're facing right now. He knows the stuff going on in your life that nobody else knows about. the Sin struggles, the disappointments, the heartaches, the, the loneliness, the loss. He knows it. He knows where we live. He knows the times that we're living in. He knows the cultural environment and the moment that we're, we're in right now. And listen, He's not wringing His hands. He's not fretting. He's not feeling scared or hopeless like many of us often do and are feeling right now. He's actively accomplishing His good and perfect will in us and through us, and He's unhindered in it. It's great news to church. As you think about Ephesians and, and how this According to the power at work within us, think of you know, what that power is in the context of Ephesians. And again, we're not studying the whole letter right now. we've been through it, but several years ago. but re- remember back way back in the beginning of the letter ephesians 1, 15 to twenty three that which it, the letter begins with the doxology, but right after that doxology in verse fourteen as that ends, verse we, we, he, he goes on and particularly in verse nineteen, if you're there, flip back to Ephesians one, verse nineteen he prays. He's again praying for them. He's praying that they would be aware of what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. You he sees words, power, might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So the So the power at work within us that He's talking about in Ephesians 3 is that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's resurrection power and so by faith we this is what Paul's doing and what we join him in doing we praise God for his resurrection power that's at work within us because it's so hard to believe sometimes that this power is really at work within you and within me and within our church isn't it but we trust him we look at ourselves and we say come on Paul you can't be serious i mean look look at the struggles that i'm having look at the sins that are so persistent look at Look at the difficulty we have loving one another, caring for one another. Look at the, look at how hard it is to be patient with one another, how to get along with one another. Look how we're not we're not as engaged as we should be in the Lord's in the, in, in this great commission work. So many things the it is, is, can be a mess at times. Every church can be. What do you mean the power of the resurrection is at work within us? But Paul says to a church that's. No better, not much different than us, just a different time. He says it's, it is. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, seated him in the heavenly places, is at work within you, brothers and sisters, together right now. It is. It's at work in you. And again, it's not that the Ephesian church was so impressive, and we certainly aren't either church at Ephesus, again, maybe 35, 50 people and a few house churches in Ephesus hearing Paul's letter read. They couldn't imagine all that God would have in store for them or what He would do through them. Or even through these letters that they're hearing read for the first time. Couldn't conceive of this. They couldn't conceive that one day there'd be hundreds of millions of people around this world that would confess their faith in Jesus Christ. Couldn't conceive of. God says to the Ephesians, don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. My power is at work in you, even if it's imperceptible to you sometimes. Don't doubt that my power is at work. It will prevail. It raised Christ from the dead. It seated Him in heavenly places. And it will accomplish everything that I intend to accomplish for you. So we're to praise God for that power. And that brings us to the last last statement here. So God's power is far beyond us, yet it's at work within us. What do we do then? So, so God's glory then is to be our joyful goal. Joyful goal. God does more. He does more than we ask or imagine. He does it according to His power, working sovereignly, personally, corporately in us. So what's our response? Praise. To Him be the glory. Him be the glory. Give Giving God glory. And we say that. We don't get the wrong idea as we talk about glorifying God or to Him be the glory. It's not, you know, Paul saying, you know, you need to pray real hard. You need to believe uh, a, 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 that so that you can somehow add something to God. Give something to Him that He's lacking. So it, it, it's not that there's like some sort of bucket brigade in the church where Where the Lord is up high on this hill and He's got this trough that holds water, but it's kind of leaky. And so our job is to keep giving Him glory by hauling these buckets of water up to Him through our songs, through our gatherings and, and praying and all of these things. So we got to keep replenishing His glory trough up there that's, that just keeps draining out and we got to keep filling it up. That's not it at all. It's not it. God, we cannot add to one's to God's glory in the tiniest little bit. He is glorious. It's who he is. What we're saying when we give him glory is not. We're not giving him something he lacks. We're acknowledging what's true. We're reveling in it. We're we're recognizing it. We're extolling his glory. John Piper says again not with the same analogy but instead of that bucket brigade like I'm saying it's not he says no it's it's thirsty people coming and kneeling at the fountain of living water sticking their faces in this pure pristine overflowing abundant fountain and drinking their fill and then rising up and saying oh, satisfied that's what it is to him be the glory <laughs> to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So glory in the church. Glory in the if you have again if we were studying Ephesians you would see this exalted ecclesiology throughout this letter. We're going to see some of it in the next few weeks, but the church is 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 where God's power is working. The church is God's fullness Ephesians 1:23. The church is the abiding place for God by his spirit Ephesians 2:22. 22, the church is God's theater to display His wisdom and His glory. Ephesians 3.10 I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19. But Paul would say, you know what? Something greater than that. It's the church. It's this beautiful, beautiful display of the glory of God. Heaven's pale in comparison. That little... Struggling church in Ephesus. This little struggling church on Corinth Road. It's a canvas on which the glory of God is seen. We don't make it that. We recognize it. We revel in it. Its glory is displayed in us when we trust in, when we rest in Christ and Him alone together. <laughs> when we point to the cross together. When we remember Jesus together it's when we sing and worship him together it's when we make disciples together it's when we get along with one another it's when we express our dependence upon God together in prayer when we when 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 sinners are brought out of condemnation and brought in as sons and daughters of God and we revel in that through baptism we this is this is it it's when people of different backgrounds and cultures they come together and we love one another because of the love of Christ it's in us this is it, to glory in the church. Now just a let me, couple of implications for that, and then we, I know we need to finish. But we don't always see what God is doing in the church, do we? Because what we see now is essentially scaffolding. I mean, the, when we look at the visible church today, I mean, this local church or even the body of Christ, what we see is basically a construction site theologically. It, 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 the construction sites, they're kind of messy, aren't they? Some are cleaner than others, but... If you've ever traveled to a city in the United States that you know, has you know famous buildings or landmarks, you know, the Washington Monument or, or Liberty Hall or, or over, you go to the Cathedral of Notre Dame or something like that, you go there and you're so excited to see this building that you've seen pictures of and, and this ornate, all this, all this design in it, and you go there... And it's under, you know, they're remodeling it, and they got scaffolding up the whole outside of it. You can't see anything. It's it's awful, and 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 so, but that that's essentially what you have right now in the church. What we see is scaffolding everywhere, is because it's a work in progress. It's it's a work site now, but one day God's going to bring down that scaffolding. And he's going to say, "Here's my glorious bride that I've been preparing. It's beautiful." When we look at the church and, and we see it's flawed, and we see it not living up to the expectations of the New Testament, we say that's what the church is supposed to be. And then we look around and we're like, that's not what I'm seeing. We don't. We're not displaying God's love like we're supposed to. We're not displaying holiness like we're supposed to. We're not displaying this this devotion to God like we're supposed to. Just remember that all of that, all of that scaffolding we see, all of that clutter, all that mess, it's just proof that Jesus, what Jesus said, is true. Because he says the church is not going to be perfected until He comes again. It is. It's is, It's a work in progress right now. You can't find a church that's not flawed, that's, that's, that's perfect right now. If you did, you would say, well, Christ spoke wrongly. And He didn't. Even flawed churches, though, they're, they're made to display God's glory and His grace. Because it's through messed up sinners like you and me that he still is his power is at work within us and he still uses us to show that all the glory goes to him glory in the church now now I will say sometimes we get to see glimpses of the glory of what god is doing in the church and then we praise god for that when we do don't we and we see you know through the scaffold ooh wow i see see what's happening there oh we see what you're doing god it's good so glory in the church. Glory in Christ. You can't separate the head of the church from the body. So if there's glory in the church, there's glory in Christ because the church is a theater of, the, of, of glory for God only because it's in Christ. It's, he's the glory of the church. Everything good that abounds to the glory of God in the church, it's in Christ. It's through Him. And then quickly, glory forever. He says throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And he could have just kept going on with the evers. God's glory—it's—it's it's what eternity's about. What he's saying is, we need to be about in time what we will be about for eternity—the glory of God. That's why we exist as a church. It's why we exist as a Bible Church, a local. And we have a mission statement that makes this very explicit. But this is not because we created this or thought this would be really clever. It's just capturing what what God has told us. We exist to. Glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. The glory of God has got to be pulsating in everything we do. We don't exist to keep the lights on. We don't exist to fund world missions. We don't exist to provide safe alternatives for children and youth and families. We don't exist for our own personal betterment. As much as we feel like that sometimes, like the world revolves around me and and all that really matters is how you can benefit me. That's how I feel at times. That's not it. No, God is the blazing sinner. The important thing is how everything relates to Him. Brings Him glory. We exist to to be this corporate, invisible, and audible doxology to God. That's why. So, he ends with this good word. With the saints we then proclaim, Amen. Amen. Now to him was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And the church says, amen. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you that we can say amen with full confidence of faith. We can say amen with joy in our hearts, even when walking through difficult circumstances. We can say amen and praise you for your resurrection power at work within us, even when it doesn't feel like it, Lord. We can say that because of what preceded the resurrection of Christ, and that was your son's death. We say amen because Jesus said it is finished. So we, we, as Paul says to the Corinthians, we now do this very strange thing, Father. We boast in the cross. We see what the world regards as foolishness and some have seen it as a stumbling block. We see it as the very power and wisdom of God. We boast in it. So we come unashamed in faith Ready to receive, acknowledging that everything that we have and know and joy and that's good in our lives comes from you, we come to the table and we we give thanks as we remember Christ and Him crucified. And so as we sing now, as we prepare, use our songs, as we confess together these things, and as we come to the table to again show us once again the unlimited ability that you have even to save us to save us to the uttermost as the writer of hebrews says because you died for our sins and now even now you live to make intercession for us thank you jesus pray in his name amen